I'm Chris Ronzio. Welcome to Organize Chaos. Welcome to Organize Chaos. Take a page out of other business leaders' playbooks and get candid advice from Chris Ronzio. People, processes, productivity, and how to organize your life around it all. There are many key components to sustaining your business as you brave market changes, competition, and other uncertainties. Some of these include research and development, creating demand for your product or service, innovative marketing, and financing your business. If you just hit play on this episode, be sure to go back to part one of this series to catch all the value from this conversation. I want to switch into R&D and innovation because I think another way to not go out of business is to sort of become irrelevant or get stale and all of us need to kind of stay in in the forefront there. So, um, so Melanie, I'll stick with you for a second. You've always seemed to have a good pulse on who your customer is and what they want. So how do you keep building a product around the customer? What does that feedback loop look like? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the real strengths of Andy and one of the areas that we've invested the most in. Um, Up until two weeks ago, we didn't have even a designer on stat. Now we hired a designer because we just have too many styles to come out with uh, next year. But um, prior to that, we, we didn't have a designer as, as sort of a way of ensuring that all of the design ideas for new products and development were really originating from the customer and not from someone whose job is to like dictate what the next great new style is. Um, and so we have a you know pretty robust in-house customer support team. We call them our fit experts. Uh, they, well, now we're not really at the office, but when we were, they'd sit right next to the marketing team and the product team. And um, we have a really robust feedback loop where they can share, you know, this is what customers like, this is what they don't like. These are the ideas we're getting. Um, And that's how we now offer rash guards that was born from customer demand. Uh, We switched our fabric to an eco-friendly spandex, uh, which is, you know, hard to do, rare in the swim industry, totally born from our customers. Um, And as we develop new categories and extensions, it it really comes from from customers. And so we, we just, we listen. And I think that's also where we just take a really holistic view of the customer experience um, and we, we try to be really proactive instead of reactive. And that that's how we really have, I think, been customer led from the beginning. And even though we have a designer on staff, I don't think that'll change. Jesse, uh, Melanie just mentioned customer experience, and it seems like innovation for you has been all about the customer experience, right? With just making it easier so they don't have to think about getting their contact lenses. So I'm curious, how do you think about R and D? Like, how many? What, what do you put towards this in resources? How far out are you planning and thinking? There's been new products put on the market. It's a little bit like the razor industry. There has been new products put on the market in the last 20 years, but there hasn't been like uh, meaningfully clinical, meaningful clinical improvements. And to the extent competitors or whatever other, to the extent branded manufacturers release those products, we're happy to sell them and do sell them anyway. Um, but I, I think more like you know, to what Melanie was saying. Um, one of the best things about, you know, um, direct response marketing online is the customer just tells you what they want. And so like, you know, people ask for different products and we'll just stock them. Um, and that's like the best way to fill customer demand is people tell you their product specs. Like I'm, I'm, I'm involved in a stroller business and like 
everybody asked for a double stroller. So the first like real product extension that we released was a double stroller. Like you think of that sort of old school customer insights, consumer insights work and like focus groups and all this, like just check out the comment feed on the ad and people will tell you what they want. Um, and that's really helpful. Um, I knew nothing about the stroller industry until I had two kids. And now we've got like, you know, the, the skateboard that attaches to the stroller and like the umbrellas and the, it's like a go-go gadget mobile with like all the, all the attachments. Um, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about, about just marketing brand awareness and getting the word out there. Anthony, as a, you know, being, being in this content creation, influencer marketing business, is that a, a tool that you use to get the word out there about tribe? Uh, we're, we're actually at the moment going through a, a bit of a, a community strategy where we're leveraging our community, not necessarily to promote Tribe, but more to educate the community. So previously, we've always been telling them, hey, this is how you create great content and this is how you win on our app and this is, this is the best way to, to do this. Now we're trying to engage members of the community who are doing all that really well to start educating newcomers into, into the app uh, so that it becomes sort of two-way conversations between members rather than everything being channeled through us. And that's something that, that's occurring. Certainly a, a really a positive uh, movement for our, for our community because that, that's a very important part of, of our whole business. Melanie, how about you? Early on with, with Andy, was, was social media a big driver of your growth or how did you get the early word out? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, well, the first thing we invested in was PR. Um, as a fashion brand, we felt like we needed some legitimacy and press could give that to us. Um, and so, so we first invested in press and then, and then obviously quickly sort of leveraged those pieces into paid social ads. So we'd run, you know, pr promoted ads to some of the pieces about us. Um, and then paid social took off and is, I mean, it's massive and, and influencer, influencer marketing um, is a core part of our strategy and it uh, works super well. Um, and so that's, that's been, that was always true. And I think that kind of took off even more for us during COVID um, when we really leaned on influencers and I don't even mean major ones, you know, micro influencers in our community to, uh, you know, promote the product, talk about the brand, um, even do photo shoots for us when we couldn't during COVID. So um, social and influencer are core strategies. Got it. And Jesse, speaking of ads, I know you ran some mock ads before you even had the product. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we needed, you always need to do like little different demand tests. Um, we, we launched, you know, we raised without product. And so you have to convince people, you have to show people some kind of demand data. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so we ran all sorts of little tests like that. So I don't, so you have to correct me if this is wrong, but I heard you got 2000 signups in four days for a product that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we did, you know, it's just email addresses and leads, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> so incredible tip for anyone listening. You put so much thought into that. You've got to create this whole thing and really you've got to create demand. And if you create demand, the product, the execution, the delivery can all follow. So you mentioned uh, funding right there and we've got maybe 10 minutes left. I want to touch on this a little bit because I think between the four of us, we've all raised a, a good deal of funding. Um, not every business wants to raise funding. And I know for founders, it's a tough decision to decide to sell a chunk of equity in the business. So I'm curious how each of you thought about this. You know, Why did you decide that equity financing was a good decision? 
I I mean for for me I like didn't honestly ever think otherwise. I'd like I'd like to chicken shit to like part partly it was just like it was a period when there was a lot, a lot of venture money coming into direct commerce, which is you know is very different today. There's lots of the same or probably more so great brands getting started right now, but like you know, the sort of bootstrapping path is like, you know, talked about a lot more and you know, and, and much more popular now. Um like it was just sort of a, or whatever, like we just kind of assumed that like we needed to raise money for the thing. And if we didn't raise money for the thing, then that meant there wasn't a business there. Um, but like, that's very much sort of a 2016 kind of way of looking at things. Melanie, yours was different. I, re- I read that you traded equity for manufacturing. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I've done both. So we've raised, um, I think about eight and a half million in venture funding. Um, and then we also struck an equity deal with our manufacturer, um, which was, a, that was, I mean, then they ended up becoming an investor, a cash investor as well. But, uh, but first it was really, um, it was a strategic partnership to align incentives, give us, you know, massive powerhouse sort of supply chain that was way beyond the scale that we were, uh, you know, great working capital terms, stuff like that. Um, so both, and they really enabled us to scale a lot. Um, I think it, it, it can be a tough decision, but it's also sometimes not a decision, like sometimes for various, so you either need it or you don't. And um, if you need it and you can't get it, which now, like Jesse said, it's very, very hard. The landscape has changed. Then maybe you don't have a business. Um, But if you don't need it, then like definitely don't get it because it, you know, well, not necessarily, but it it just makes things a lot harder down the road. How about you, Anthony? Thoughts on raising money? Yeah, look, it's, I mean, I think the the, the trade-off is fair, right? You're, you're, you're getting in cash and, and you're giving away equity. You've got to be comfortable with the amount you give away and that's different for everyone. But I think to, to Melanie's point, it just changes the uh, trajectory of your business for good and bad. And once you start raising, it, it puts you on a pathway. It, it places people in your business who have expectations. You've got to be really careful about the partners you choose. We've, you know, the, There's a sort of saying in Australia about gut, gut, gut feel. Right, you'll know if this is someone who who gets your vision, who who really looks like someone who's who's going to partner with you through good and bad, and 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 the terms will reflect that. And and I think if you're comfortable, then then it's a great thing. If if you feel uncomfortable about it, then then it's not a great thing. Yeah, some of the best advice I ever got was whether we wanted to raise money or not, we should be in a position where we could raise money. You know, where the metrics looked good and we had a plan for what we would do with the money, and then if we needed to, we'd be able to. To, to raise money. And, you know, this theme of how to not go out of business, a big part of it is don't run out of money, right? So for, for all of you that went through this kind of process, do you have any tips on, on, you know, what you did in advance of raising money that made it a little bit easier? For me, it was the the manufacturing deal that you just mentioned. Um, I put that deal in place before I raised money. Um, so I bootstrapped it, saw some legs to the business, struck a strategic partnership with a major manufacturer, and then went out to raise money. So I both had some very early metrics on organic press and word of mouth. And I had this powerhouse manufacturing deal and investors. I mean, it took it took almost no time to raise my seed round because it was like the whole package was right there. If I had gone out before doing either of those things, I probably wouldn't have a business right now because I'd still be pounding the pavement. How about you guys, Anthony, Jesse? Yeah, look, we've, we've always uh, been an organized business. And so everything has been in order, know which metrics are, are the important metrics. I think we were always 
intending to raise money. So, so like you, just just very well prepared for it. But um, you certainly you certainly want to get your shit together, right? And 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 have your paperwork, your admin, your, your, your all your legals, um, your IP, and, and make it as easy as possible for investors because once you get someone in. Um, you really want to close that as, as quickly as possible. And if it takes you months to, to go through due diligence, it, it just challenges the, 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 the deal. Totally. It can become your full-time job and we all have jobs, so <laughs> we don't want that, right? Yeah, um, all right, I, we had a couple of great audience questions. So I want to go into these. How do you calculate lifetime value of a customer when it comes to your threshold for traffic acquisition? So do any of you have like a... Or a ratio of acquisition cost to lifetime value. We actually take the retention curve. We take the we 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 take the margin dollars per order. We haircut it by the retention curve, and then we take the um, you know whatever we take the customer acquisition cost as a negative cash flow at the front, and we just do an IRR calculation of the whole thing. And you know and we have you know certain you know, internal rate of return target that we're looking for. Um, and that's how much we're willing to spend for a customer. And then I think one of the things that one of the things that I disagree with how some people think about this is they'll do that and they'll say, oh, my my um, CPA target is whatever, 100 bucks. And so, um, you know, I'm, I should, you know, so I want an average CPA of 100. And I don't think people, it, it's hard to get at. And, you know, there's no like precise cut of it. But I think people should, I think a, a lot of founders could spend more time on like, what am I actually paying for my incremental customer? Like the most expensive customer that I'm buying off platform, how much is that customer costing? Because if your average customer is at your return threshold, um, that probably means your most expensive customer is way above it. Um, and, you know, so I think that's like, we've generally managed to average CPAs that are pretty far below our return threshold, not because we're trying to be conservative, but just because we're trying to guess at where our most expensive customers are on pricing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the same. Actually, we have a very different business because we're not subscription. Um, and so I just look at contribution margin on first order to know what my CPA threshold is. But um, I think right now that now that we've reached such scale and we're going for even more, it's that I'm really, um, really focused on each sort of decile of customers and how uh, the, the most how 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 expensive each incremental one is um, as we go up the sort of layers of the cake, so to speak. Probably the last one will be able to fit in. Jay says, what are the best ways to validate your idea before plowing capital into it? Melanie, you mentioned news and PR. Jesse, you mentioned pre-launch ads. They'd love some uh, elaboration on best ways to validate your idea. I'll go a different direction with this because I want to tack on to what Anthony was saying before, um, which is talking with investors. I think like I, I, I think it, it's tough, which you need both. Like you need like from a like mechanical prospect, pros, from a mechanical perspective, you don't ever want like um, like logistics and like finance operations to be a obstacle, a barrier to accepting money. Um, the moment somebody wants to give you money, if you're looking to raise, you want to be in the position of accepting the money. I think founders underestimate how many investors there are out there. There's basically infinite um, and so they're like really skittish about approaching investors and they're like, oh God, I want to get, you know, one bajillion things done before I start talking to folks. And like, you can kind of just like, no one investor conversation is so precious. Investor conversations are a val very valuable source of information and feedback on like what, what like businesses are finding like fit with investors at a given point in time. And yeah. so like the danger of, if you want to bootstrap the business, it just doesn't matter. Um, but 
well, even if you want to bootstrap it, but you're looking to sell it at some point, unless you're looking to like operate the business and live off the cash flows it produces, which is like, a, you know, whatever, that's just a business. So like, that's great. Um, but like, unless that's the plan, if you're planning to raise for it or you're planning to sell it, like talking to the people who would be making such decisions to see if it's the kind of asset that they want to own, um, it's probably a good thing to do sooner rather than later. And like, and the thought that you're sort of blowing your wad if you approach them too early um, is silly because there's more of them. Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. We every time we do investor roadshows, like it's you learn so much from each conversation, even to the point where I tend to um, put the the, the 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 big conversations I'm looking forward to towards the middle or end because I want the first half a dozen to really sort of test me and, and ask the questions that I haven't thought of, and so that you're really in, in form when you get to the to the ones that you want to you want to win. So it's absolutely a learning experience. Hey, thanks for listening to Organize Chaos. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review or share it with anyone in your network that you think could use this information. If you wanna connect with me personally, please text me 480-531-8411 or connect with me anywhere on social at Chris Ronzio. Or you can connect with Trainual at Trainual, just like a training manual. See you next time. <laughs>